I'm here with Dr. Frank Hosel. He is the co-author of this quarter's Sabbath School lesson, which is How to Interpret Scripture. He's also the author of a number of books, including uh, the book that is a companion book to this quarter's study, How to Interpret Scripture, that if you have not picked it up yet, you'll want to do so. You can get that on Amazon or at the Adventist Book Center um, website. And then also his book, Living for God, Rege Reclaiming the Joy of Christian Virtue, which I have had the privilege of reading, and I can tell you it's a great blessing. Uh, we will be providing this to our members in the future. But uh, Frank, uh, it's good to see you again this morning. Good to see you. And if this is your first time... Uh, joining us, then I want to encourage you to go back onto YouTube, the Spencerville Church uh, YouTube page or Facebook page, and you can watch the previous lessons, because we're now today doing lesson three of the quarter, and so you can go back and watch lessons one and two if you miss those, and I would even invite you to watch uh, the introduction. Yes. We did a little 15-minute introduction video. I'd invite you to watch that, because that gives some context to the entire study as well. And so uh, we invite you to, to do that also. But we're glad that you are here with us today. And as we begin, I'm going to invite uh, uh, Frank to have a word of prayer for us. Sure. Gracious Lord, we seek your, your guidance and uh, your leading in the discussion now. Open our minds so that we uh, can understand your word better and that the things we talk about can help others to love you even greater and more. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Frank, I've told you that I think that, that God is so amazing in how he, um, how he knows the timing of everything mm -hmm. and, and the appropriateness of, of understanding Scripture in a time like this. Uh, crises lead people to ask questions. And one of the deepest questions out there is, what's my purpose, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is there a God sometimes? And, and where do I find that purpose? Mm -hmm. And really that's in truly understanding and being able to interpret scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, God reveals his purpose for our lives, his purpose for the world in the scriptures. And so what an appropriate lesson for uh, this time. And today we're on lesson three, which is Jesus and the Apostles' view of the Bible. And you begin in, in the middle of the, the paragraph on, on the first page, page 22 for the, for the readers. And I hope that those at home, I hope you at home are not only studying this yourself, but then you're are not only watching these videos, but also you're studying it for yourself. Uh, we need to be taking in scripture daily for ourselves, and then also coming together as a group to do that. So I hope you're doing that. Yes. But, but on your lesson study, your quarterly study on page 22, you talk about how people have turned the Bible into a document that instead of being God's view of humanity, has become humanity's view of God. Will you unpack that a little bit more? Well, we talked about the origin of scripture yeah. and that we believe that this is a book that was not generated and came about by the creativity and thinking of, of human beings, mm -hmm. but that God guided that. And if that is indeed the case, then 
we can believe that the Bible tells us something about God and is not just a reflection of human beings on God and what they thought about God. So in that sense, um, in modern times, unfortunately, uh, much uh, in the modern world, in, in theology even, people have um, turned that around and they don't believe in that divine inspiration and revelation anymore. And then the, the Bible becomes an interesting book, perhaps, mm -hmm. but it no longer has the authority and it no longer has the power uh, that it would have uh, when we believe that it comes from God. Now, one of, the, one of the great evidences of, of the authority of Scripture comes from Jesus himself. That's true. Not just in his words, of course in his words, but in the way that he, the combination of his words in all of Scripture and the way that he um, understood the Old Testament. I think most people watching understand this, but, but Jesus' Bible was only what? Only the Old Testament. What we call now the Old Testament. There was not. <clears throat> That's right. And they didn't use the word. No, but the Old uh, Testament. they had the law and the prophets and the Psalms. Yeah. And uh, that, that were the books that we find now in what we call the Old Testament. And, and Jesus used these extensively in his, in his conversation and in his teaching. Actually, throughout his life. Uh, it, it starts early on. Even, even, well, true, yeah. even when he was a child, mm -hmm. Scripture tells us that he was found in the temple when, when they went to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. uh, the parents left him there. They didn't even know that he was uh, left behind. Mm -hmm. And he was in the temple, and the way he talks, you can tell that he respects the Scriptures and mm -hmm. that others see that he has a knowledge of Scripture. Yeah. And an amazing knowledge, even for, for a child. For a 12 year old. Yeah. And, and that kind of um, continues throughout his whole life and ministry. He is guided by the Spirit, but he abides by Scripture. Yeah, yeah. So let's unpack this a little bit more. Let's unpack uh, how Jesus related to Scripture and Jesus' view of Scripture. <clears throat> and I'm going to Sunday, and you, you have these in different headings. And, and the first thing is, of course, you guys go right to. The temptation in mm -hmm. the desert, uh, mm -hmm. 40 days in the wilderness, and then, mm -hmm. then Satan comes and tempts Jesus, uh, and he responds with those famous words. If you've been around Christian circles, you've heard it. It is written. Yes. Right? Um, but, but both characters in this story, Jesus and Satan, were quoting scripture. That is correct. So it tells us that there's some, there's another level to just the quoting or the knowledge of Scripture. It's not just enough to quote Scripture. You can quote Scripture and misuse it yeah. and misquote it, even. And that's what the devil does. He uses Scripture for his own purposes to deceive Jesus, to lead him astray, to lead him even into sin. So let's think about it in our modern context then. So when we quote Scripture, or when we start to interpret Scripture according to our will, mm -hmm. then we are playing a similar role as Satan, right? That would be true, yes. I mean, people don't <laughs> like to think of that. No, no, but... Even, Frank even, like, you could tell he was a little hesitant <laughs> to agree with that, but it is true, right? Well, ultimately, yes, there is a responsibility. And I think that that is really what, what, what we have to take seriously because, yeah. yes, if we use Scripture just to legitimize our thinking and, and our purposes we misuse scripture and ultimately we do the same work as the devil did. Yeah, 
trying to deceive. So it's not just uh, scripture, but it's the right interpretation of scripture. Yeah. And that makes it authority. And, and it's interesting. Every single time the devil quotes scripture, yeah. Jesus knows the scriptures. Yeah. And he says, it is written. It is also written. Yeah. And uh, he points back to the Bible. The interesting thing to me is that Jesus does not say, and I tell you. He doesn't place himself above scripture in the way wow. that would give him the authority to refute the devil. He could have done yeah. that. He's the son of God. He could have said, as I inspired it long ago. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he but, but he humbly accepts that this is uh, the standard by which we have to go. And he points, points the reader and the devil back to what God has given us in the Old Testament for that matter. Okay. So we see right at the beginning, right, well, you mentioned even when Jesus was a child, we see his faith in scriptures, but, but now in this first major um, pericope of his life, I would say of his adult life, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, when he's engaging with Satan, we see that he is fully reliant upon scripture. And that actually, it, it starts his ministry before he even starts his ministry. Yeah. I mean, he's it led sets in, the foundation. It sets the foundation. He is led into the desert, not by his own willing, but by the Spirit. Here he is confronted in the most trying circumstances, yeah. really where he is vulnerable, and he resists the devil with the word of God. And I think that sets the stage for everything he does later on in his life because he wants to live by Scripture. He is, in fact, the fulfillment of Scripture. Mm -hmm because he is the promised Messiah. Yeah. And he is the one that everyone was waiting for and that God promised to, to save us. So um, in that sense, there has to be a close connection and correlation and relationship between Jesus and the scriptures. That's good. So, so Jesus built a reliability on the word of God. And there on the Sunday, the last question or the question that they encourage the teachers to ask the class. And so I'm going to ask you. I'll be the teacher for a moment, Frank, and you be the class. We'll see. Uh, how can we learn to be just as reliant on the Word of God and the key, submissive to it? Well, there are several factors, I think, that are important that mm -hmm. help us to exercise that. We, we trust a person once we get to know a person. Mm -hmm. We trust the word once we get to know the word. Mm -hmm. uh, how should I trust the Bible if, if, if I've never studied the Bible, yeah. if I've never read the Bible? But once I read the Bible, um, as I said earlier, there is an aroma of truth. There yeah, is yeah. something that tells me here I'm encountering truth. It's not a fable. It's yeah. not a, uh, some strange uh, idea of human beings. So, so that is the, the next thing is that I see that people and a person like Jesus himself trusts that same word. Mm -hmm. Now, um, he is a person who loves me. Yeah. He is a person who means well. He is a person who is the example par excellence. Yeah. So, um, so if I see that other people like Jesus have treated scripture the same way, it encourages me to, um, to at least try it, to yeah. give it a try. Yeah. And, and to see that whether there is maybe more about it than I might think. And, and 
and not just scripture in regards to what it says about Jesus, but, but a person could read, say, the New Testament. And they read Jesus' words and they just think of them as Jesus' words. But, but wouldn't it be wise of us to say, oh, if Jesus was quoting this part of scripture, we should go back and read that part of scripture as well. Oh, yes. Because yeah. then we become more familiar and understand more deeply what Jesus is implying. Because that is the background to his whole yeah. message in the New Testament, yes. It, it, in other words, we can build reliability not just by reading Jesus' words about scripture, but by reading the words prior to Jesus that he's yes, quoting from. Yes, yes, say. yes. So it gives us that full scope of things. And uh, some of these words are uh, prophecies that in the Old Testament point forward to the Messiah. To Jesus, yeah. And so we can see that he indeed is the fulfillment of those uh, Old Testament passages. And I don't remember where in our quarterly, but there was one of in the previous lessons that, mm -hmm. that we talked about how many Messianic prophecies exactly. there are. Yes. And then, of course, that are very direct, and then there's also the types. On Monday, I want us to go to this text because I was telling you I like this text before we came on camera. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. And I like it within, I'll just be honest, within the context sure. of our English Standard Version. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk just a moment about that. Uh, we are looking at Jesus and the law now, and it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And I like the way the English Standard does version does it because I think it adds more potency actually to mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. passage than even some of the other translations mm -hmm. do. So read it. Uh, so it says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Again, these are Jesus' words. Mm -hmm. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Mm. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to pause right there because it's in that, that text that I just love that word in verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes. It's not just whoever abolishes the law. Yeah. But if you start um, diminishing the law, if you start to downplay the law, yeah. if, you, if you start not taking serious the law, yeah. then you're on a downward spiral. Yeah. And eventually it will lead to the abolishment of the law to make the law of null effect. And, and <coughs> some of you uh, would maybe be reading from the New International Version, which would say set aside, and some of you would say read from the New King James or the King James, which says break. But... But, but really, this relaxes more. Jesus is showing how you get to that place where you abolish the law. Mm -hmm, you begin mm -hmm. to relax it. You begin to... And it's a process. It's you know? a process. It's a, and, and we can see that all around when, when people start to... Um, Say, that doesn't matter anymore, right? <laughs> yes. And, or, or we don't need to take that seriously, yeah. you know. But uh, we still believe, you know. But then you're on a, on a downward spiral that eventually leads you to, uh, to disregard the, the yeah. law. So it's relaxing is that slight compromise that can lead to the... Could, could lead to that. Um, and then Matthew 23, 2 and 3. Why don't you read that for us, Frank? Because I think that's another important... Matthew 23? Yeah, uh, verses 2 and 3. Yeah, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat... So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. Yeah. So 
so there's this, this element here uh, where he's affirming an aspect of the Pharisees. We always think of the Pharisees as everything they did was wrong. And he's saying that there's, there's some things that they do that are right. Well, you have a similar, um, a similar situation that comes to my mind when he talks about the Pharisees and paying tithe yeah. and how they were meticulous in, in yeah. paying the tithe, even with the, with the small grains and the, and the little herbs that they yeah, uh, yeah. counted. And he says, you should do this, but you should not <laughs> relax on the love of God on the other side. Yeah. So he is not setting apart the law, yeah. but, but he addresses something that is greater than the law, and that is our attitude, how and why we do things the way we do things. Yeah, I think it's when he's talking about the whitewashed tombs, right? And he said, you're like whitewashed tombs, you know, mm -hmm. clean on the outside, dirty on the inside. And he said, you should have done the one without neglecting the other. Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is such an important statement because um, what he's telling us there then is that we're not supposed to pick and choose, right? What we say is okay and what we say is not okay. That's true. Uh, and, and he says, if you break one law, you've broken the All entire law. Yeah. And so it's not just that we say, oh, we'll, we'll take nine of the commandments yeah. and ignore one. Uh, that will not do the job. Let's, let's just stay here for a moment because this is a challenge we have with society. And... Uh, Adventists love to focus on what you just said. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pick on us for All a right, moment. do that. All right. Because <laughs> we are quick to point out what, Frank? That we are God's true people because we keep the law. And we keep all uh, ten commandments. And we say we keep all ten because really we keep the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment. Yes. But we are just as much fourth commandment breakers if we bear false witness, right? That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. That, that is what he, what he points out, yes. Now you see, we, we always, we, this, is a, this is a human tendency. Yeah. And Adventists are not except from that. You're right. I'm, only, I'm, I'm an Adventist. And, so, and so, us, but, um, yeah. so we, are, we are not better than other people. But mm -hmm. uh, yes, we do believe that uh, we keep the commandments and we like to to emphasize the things where we are good. Yeah. And we don't like to talk about the things that are challenging to us. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, it's not just keeping one commandment and ignoring all other commandments. Yeah. The challenge is that God calls us to keep all commandments, yeah. including the, the fourth commandment, mm -hmm. of course. But the fourth commandment doesn't save us. Yeah. The, the fourth commandment doesn't bring us into heaven. Jesus saves us. Yeah. But if we love Jesus, we, we will not ignore the commandments that he has given and that are, that are important to him, yeah. the team self-kept. We just have to be careful because, and you, you're right, all religions can do this and all, all uh, denominations can do this, but, but knowing my subculture, we have the tendency to, we almost interpret this, that Jesus said, if you keep the one commandment, you've kept all the commandments. <laughs> <laughs> and we got to remember that Jesus said, if you're a gossip, you're just as... Well, that would be too easy, I think. <laughs> so, so we want to be mindful of, of that. Um, uh, I want to go to page uh, 25 in the, in, the, in the folks' book, 34, mm -hmm, yours mm -hmm. and mine's book. Um, 
uh, and there's a tough question at the bottom of that page. This is about Jesus and all of Scripture, and and I loved how you uh, how y'all connected the Great Commission to the authority of Scripture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Discipleship is about teaching all that Christ had commanded, all that Christ had taught, and what Christ had taught was from the... Yes, the, from the Old Testament. There, there is an interesting passage in uh, the Gospel of John that is not even listed in, in, in the, the, the lesson here that we study. And maybe I can read yes, that. This is you. from John chapter 7, John verse 7. 38. And there Jesus says, um, the, the famous words, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That, that, that is interesting to me because it shows me and tells me something about Jesus' way of treating scripture. He could have said, if every, anyone believes in me as I tell you. Mm -hmm. But he says, as anyone believes in me, as scripture says. So for him to really understand who Jesus is and what he, he wants to tell us, he points us back to scripture. So for Jesus, scripture was the foundation of discipleship. Of discipleship. Now we can't do better than that. And if we want to be his disciples, we also want to, to follow the scriptures as he has pointed us to. And so uh, I think that is, uh, that is crucial because sometimes people separate Jesus from the scriptures yeah. and they just talk about Jesus, 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 but uh, they are not interested in really following the Bible. And, and, and I want to make sure that, that no one's critical of you in that because it's okay to talk about Jesus, Jesus, oh, yes, Jesus, yes. because it, to talk about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is to talk about the scriptures if we're doing it correctly. Yes. Yes, that's I, what you're, I, I you're saying yes. in that in that regard. You're right about on. Jesus, you're Jesus, right Jesus. On. Yeah. Because, but what I think you're saying is that some people say, "Look, we don't need to worry about if they believe that or if they do this, as long as they love Jesus." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Jesus would say, "Wait, the Great Commission is that you teach what I have taught you, mm -hmm. and that's Scripture, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's Scripture." Yes. So, so there's that that connection. That's right? nicely worded. Yes. Yeah. Now, at the end of that page, this, All right. is, this is the tough question I, I warned you about, Frank. Uh, the, if Jesus accepts all of Scripture, why must we do the same? We, we can get that. We understand that that's part of the, the commission, the great commission. That's part of the discipleship. We've had that answered. But here's the question. How do we learn how to accept the authority of all Scripture even when there's aspects of Scripture that are not... I'm going to say it this way, on the surface, applicable today. Yeah. And unpack that question because that question is in here, and you and I are stumbling over that question a little yes, bit. Yes. And, and I think that we need to. to yeah, it's break a challenging. It it's a challenging question, and I don't <laughs> know whether I have the uh, the wisdom to answer it uh, all right, but. Let me try. Do we want to blame someone else for this question? <laughs> we want to blame <laughs> no, Michael. No, no, no. I'm, not here. <laughs> I'm not blaming anybody here. But, uh, you know, it's a challenge. Because, why? Because what we are dealing with here is a, a, a complex um, situation. Because in the Bible, you have different kinds of um, 
of laws, let's say. Mm -hmm. So you have laws that deal with the Old Testament um, sanctuary service, mm -hmm. with sacrifices, mm -hmm. and, and things like that. Now, they are no longer applicable to us. We don't need to bring sacrifices to get forgiveness for sins. Mm -hmm. Jesus came. He is the fulfillment of all yeah. that. Now, is that is, was that wrong? Is, is that not authoritative in the Bible? Or yes, it is but it's no longer applicable to us. And the scriptures, not me and you, but the scriptures tell us why. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus came and uh, that he is the sacrifice, the better sacrifice, mm -hmm. and that therefore we don't need to, to give uh, bloody sacrifices anymore yeah. to, to achieve. Now you have other laws in the Old Testament that dealt more with the situation uh, of uh, the theocracy where Israel was at the same time a political nation mm -hmm. and a religious entity. And now that's a situation that is completely different from what we face today. Mm -hmm. There is no nation on earth today that at the same time is identical with the people of God. Yeah. So we have followers and believers in every nation and in every tribe and in every uh, uh, culture. Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't have one uh, political entity that we say that is the people of God. Yeah. Now, because we have that unique uh, setting in the Old Testament, uh, there are some laws that address specific things in the Old Testament that, were, theocracy. that are related to theocracy. And they are not necessarily identically uh, applicable to our situation, and yet... They're still authoritative. They, they are still authoritative, and we still can learn something about them. Let me just give a, a little illustration. In the Old Testament, in the theocracy, you had uh, the so-called sabbatical year, the, the year of Jubilee, mm -hmm. that was given by God to the people of Israel mm -hmm. to ensure that the, the divide between the rich and the poor will not grow stronger and stronger, but mm -hmm. that every seven years and 70 years, you would have a release mm -hmm. where you give an opportunity for those who had lost everything, mm -hmm. who had become poor, even slaves, would release, be released to freedom again mm -hmm. and have uh, an opportunity to start from scratch. Now, that is something I think even though we no longer live in a theocracy, mm -hmm. we can learn something about yeah. this because we have the same dynamics going on in, in the world today. Mm -hmm. And you have countries that are richer and richer, and you have other countries that are getting poorer and poorer. Yeah. And uh, the divide will, will grow stronger and stronger and cause uh, social and, and other conflicts. And so we can learn the, principle of the principles caring. that there is something that is beyond the materialistic uh, things that we human beings often try to take uh, as the most important. Now, let me dig a little deeper on this. So, what I hear you saying, and tell me if I'm right or not, that that the authority remains in the principle and not necessarily in the direct individual application to an, uh, to a person. Is that correct? Well, the principle still applies. Yes, I would agree with that. The authority is still there in what Jesus or what, what the biblical writer uh, wrote down. It's, it's still authoritative. But we now apply the principle differently because of our context. But the Bible, again, the Bible would tell us, are we still living in a theocracy? Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. 
Is that therefore applicable yeah. to our situation? Are we, um, you know, uh, uh, that has to be taken into consideration. Okay, can I ask you, this is gonna be, I, sure. didn't, I didn't warn you about this, this is, <laughs> but while we're talking, you, you stirred something in my brain. So here's the challenge for me. What you said I 100% agree with in that we should not say something is no longer applicable unless the Bible does. And we see that in certain areas. We see that in, in, um, in, in Hebrews when it says we no longer you know, need a priest because mm -hmm, Jesus mm -hmm, is our high priest. Mm -hmm. We no longer need a sacrifice because Jesus is our sacrifice. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. We have all these things, right? Mm -hmm. There's a sanctuary in heaven. Da -da. Mm -hmm. We have this in, in, and we see this in scripture. Uh, we see it in the way that it's talked about the, the law, certain laws set aside, the circumcision, mm -hmm, these mm -hmm, scripture is clearly mm -hmm. taking some of these applications away. Slavery. Yes. Where an application is never removed. And yet what we would say is the trend, am I correct, right? <laughs> the direction of scripture is moving away from that. Now that's a tough one. I know, I know. <laughs> but, but, but what I'm trying to argue as I see, I, 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 you know, you, you know this too, you have sons, college age sons, and, and I deal with, you know, I'm a, a fairly young person. Sure. And, and my generation would say, well, these things no longer apply because the trend of society has moved away from this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I argue against that. I'm thinking about things in relation to sexuality, to marriage and divorce, uh, these, these things. Does yeah, this make sense yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so can you unpack that a little bit? Well, let's see. Um, <laughs> I know, I, I do warn you, but... Um, you know, coming back to the issue of slavery, yeah. uh, th that again, we could talk a, a, a lot about uh, that issue mm -hmm. and it has different facets, but let me say that. We have to be careful not to um, read our understanding of slavery into the Bible. And whenever the Bible um, talks about slavery, think of the slavery that we let's say, in our uh, have known in our history here in the United States or in other countries around the mm -hmm. world. Now, um, there is something like slavery in the Bible, but if you look at that, it, uh, it seems to me that it's not identical to much of the slavery that we see in history. Mm -hmm. uh, slaves could be released, they could be freed, and they you have, their, and you, in debt. the Bible you have, in the New Testament, for instance, and, uh, and even in the Old Testament, you have the word slave um, used for the Messiah. Doulos. He became uh, the Eben Yahweh. And, you, doulos, and, and in the New Testament, you have uh, the slave, the doulos. Uh, Paul says we are slaves. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, does that mean we are slaves uh, to Christ like a, a slave that was in uh, slavery here uh, in the United States? Uh, no. So we have to allow scripture, again, to define what scripture means by the word slave. Okay. And it could mean maybe a slightly different thing. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be fair to that. Yeah. Now, having said that, you still have statements in scripture that, that allow for that, mm -hmm. or that where you see that people practice that. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, you also have passages in scripture that point to the responsibility of the person who had slaves mm -hmm. to treat his slaves humanely mm -hmm. and fairly mm -hmm. and with dignity that would lead eventually to 
the dissolution of slavery yeah, altogether. Yeah. And you have passages like that in, in, in the New Testament. He's no longer Philemon, he's no longer your slave, exactly. he's your brother. You know, we're all and so there's a responsibility that uh, even slavery can be misused, mm -hmm. you know, and can be, be used in ways mm -hmm. that God would never ever approve. Yeah. And, uh, and yet for the hardening of the heart, he might have uh, allowed for certain practices, yeah, yeah. but wishes that we um, do better than that. Yeah, because I mean, I could have chosen uh, polygamy. I mean, and one of the things I think about when I think about some of those subjects that I say, well, is I go back to Genesis and the ideal setting in which God set up, and we see that revelation is God wanting to restore that ideal, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We know there was no slavery in that ideal. We know there was no mm -hmm, polygamy mm -hmm, in that mm -hmm. ideal, mm -hmm. right? And it was a man and a woman. Yeah, not woman. everything that you find in the Bible, not everything that is... Just because uh, it's in there is not an endorsement of it, right? Exactly. So the Bible presents things as they were, not necessarily endorsing them or, or telling us to do the same. Yeah. I'm sorry I took us down a little bit of a rabbit hole. No, that's fine. But I think these are questions sometimes mm -hmm, people mm -hmm, have, like, mm -hmm. what? well, it never actually out... So how can we trust that authority? We want to be mm -hmm. mindful mm -hmm. of some of those questions. Um, I think we've gone a bit on this, but I, <laughs> so I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to sure. jump ahead. Um, I want to jump ahead to uh, the apostles in the Bible. This is Thursday. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you, you pointed this out already kind of in another scripture, but we, let's go to Galatians 3.8. And you pointed this out when you referenced the, the verse we read in John. But I think this is a great little nuance here that is taking place. Galatians 3.8, and I'll read that. Mm -hmm. And it says, it reads, uh, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. It's saying the scriptures preached, right? Uh, the scripture, mm -hmm. we're seeing that God would justify. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what is this relating scripture to then? Well, the, that's the fascinating who's, thing. Who's the preacher that is being uh, <laughs> replaced by, by the scripture? Well, God. God, God is, is. is talking, and yet Paul says, scripture says. And you, you have similar passages. You have in Acts 4, you have uh, David, uh, the Holy Spirit speaking by the mouth of David. So yeah. David speaks, but actually it's the Holy Spirit who speaks. Yeah, yeah. Or you have Paul in, uh, in Romans 9, verse 17, mm -hmm. where... where Scripture says to Pharaoh, yeah. and actually it's Moses who said it, or God who yeah, said yeah. it through Moses. So you see that the biblical writers identified the voice of Scripture with the voice of God. So for them, that's why Scripture has authority, yeah. because ultimately God speaks through the Bible to us. We have a movement in evangelical Christianity, and a very prominent evangelical has, has, has written a whole book and, and done some things, you know, saying that, the Old Testament's no longer relevant. It, yeah, it was God's word, but it, no, we don't need it for utilizing it in our modern day. And man, you, you have to really deny a text like Galatians uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, 3.8 because that is so, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, 
and you shall, and then it quotes the Old Testament. Yeah, it's 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 saying that the, the and we should we should never, uh, Chad, we should never forget that for Jesus and the apostles, for both, they only had the Old Testament. Yeah. So everything they preached and everything they believed was grounded in what we call the Old Testament. And we never see that they downplay the Old Testament or, or tell us that the Old Testament is no longer applicable or no longer needed. For them, this was the Word of God. And everything we know about Jesus, we know from the Old Testament. Yeah. And Paul builds on the Old Testament. His justification builds on the Old Testament. There is no... Uh, there's no conflict between the New Testament and the Old Testament. And, and there's no, um, there's no status, uh, uh, hierarchy. No hierarchy. Of yes. authority. No, no. No hierarchy of authority. And, and that's what I want even our, in our church, people to understand. Because you'll hear people saying, oh, I'm a New Testament Christian or... We want to be Bible Christians, and you even start to hear a little bit of this in, in Adventism. You know, oh, I love my preacher because he just like he focuses just on the Gospels and, yeah. and the New Testament. You'll hear that even in Adventism. Such a danger. I hope that our, because the logical conclusion to what we're saying and what, what we see here in Scripture is that if you say there's a hierarchy, then you're saying that you have a higher level of understanding and authority than Jesus himself. Yes. And then the Apostle Paul and all these others. Exactly, exactly. That's the logical conclusion. That's the logical, yes. That people don't realize they're going and, there. And there's, there's something else that, that is interesting to me. If you look at Jesus and you look at the apostles, neither Jesus nor the apostles, I find ever to um, talk negatively about the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. I never find them saying that, oh, this is, a, this is a problematic passage that we don't need to take into consideration anymore. Mm -hmm. I never find them talking doubt, but I see when they talk about Scripture, the Old Testament, they talk faith, and they affirm it, and they treat it as trustworthy. The, the people they quote from, the people they refer to, they seem to believe have been real, literal, historical people, yeah. Be that Adam or Noah or David or whoever it is. Yeah. You know, and if we, if we start losing out on that, it'll change significant parts of our understanding of biblical faith. So, for instance, let me give you an example. In Romans, in Romans 5, the, um, the Apostle Paul makes a comparison between Adam, the first, first man... Adam, yeah through whom sin came into the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then he says, and so justification comes and the, the, mm -hmm. the solution comes to the second Adam, mm -hmm, to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, if the first Adam was not a historical figure, mm. it doesn't make sense to have Jesus as a historical mm. figure. And Just undermine all salvation. And if, if Adam, and there are many today, and there's a big discussion, even in evangelical circles, and I've seen several books on that, was Adam a historical figure? And many would oh. deny that. And they would say he is not, it's a generic term that is used in a generic and way. And yet they say they're affirming the New Testament. And the full authority and of the Scripture. the full authority of Scripture. And yet by doing that, they're actually undermining portions of the New Testament, their own theology. Exactly. Now, now think about it. If, if Adam was not a historical figure, a, a historical person that existed, then without Adam, there is no fall. 
and without fall there is no sin. Mm. And without sin there is no need for a savior. And it, it all, you know, it all is connected in the, in the Bible. Because if there is no Adam, and if everything uh, was created through long periods of evolution, then everything gets better and better. But the Bible tells us it was perfect and it is deteriorating. You know, it's a completely different trajectory. And so uh, we have to be really careful mm -hmm. in, in, in even these historical details, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you please, because yeah. the Apostle Paul clearly believed that Adam was, was a real. historical figure and ma makes it clear that then Jesus could be the Savior. And to bring this full circle about, about, the, about needing to be cautious with this, you... Uh, at the beginning, you talked about how Jesus, when he talked about the it is written, he's laying the foundation for his entire ministry. Uh, a, a pastor, a parent, a, a, a theologian, they may be starting to undermine some of these things, hmm. and they're not going all the way down the road with them, but they're laying that same foundation, same foundation. of a future generation to say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this a step further mm, in this mm, regard. Mm, mm. Uh, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like Darwinism laid, <laughs> laid, a, laid a foundation for future generations. Because even up until the 1950s and 60s, most people would say, God is your creator. This mm -hmm, is how it happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yet, future generations have just built on that thing that was said subtly and quietly long ago. Yes. And uh, it's, 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 it's very interesting, you know, you, you talked about teachers and pastors and, and others, and I, I do think that we, we have a responsibility. I was a Bible teacher for many years. I'm a, I worked as a pastor for many years. And we do have a responsibility how we talk about the Bible. You can talk, you can talk doubt. You can talk uh, that people uh, become skeptical. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can talk about the Bible in ways that will undermine uh, their trust in the Word of mm -hmm. God, or you can talk faith. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that that uh, nobody... Uh, we shouldn't ask the hard questions. We, we shouldn't ask that. You know, there is, there is a, a level and a, a context where we can ask uh, questions appropriately to people <laughs> uh, without disturbing other people and, and their thinking. Yeah. But we do have, as pastors and as teachers and as church members, a responsibility how we talk about our faith. Mm -hmm. And we, we should learn from Jesus and the apostles. Jesus never talked doubt. He never talked in a way that led people into skepticism. And undermine their... And undermine their trust in the word of God. But he affirmed it. Mm -hmm. And so let's be people who who do the same, who talk about the Bible in such a way that when other people hear us talk, that they um, will see that you actually trust the word, mm -hmm. that they will see that you don't just trust the word, you delight in the word, yeah. and it's meaningful to you, and that they will be interested and inspired to learn more about this word and uh, to study it for themselves. That's a good place to end. We're gonna end there. All right. Uh, Let's be people that don't undermine the word by the way we speak, but let's build up the word just as Jesus did. Yes. Just as Jesus yes. did. All right. Thank you for Thank joining you. us for this lesson number three, and we hope that you'll come back and join us next week for lesson number four. Thank you, Frank, for pleasure. your writing, and thank you for chasing a couple uh, uh, hairs with me, <laughs> and, and we will be with you next week again. May God bless you as you continue to study in this week ahead.